listen, man, I here I need to tell you something. I really think that um we need to do listen to me. I've been thinking about this. Oh boy, the, you're not gonna do you're not gonna wanna do this at all because I know you, but <laughs> I say that with all the love of my heart. But listen to me when I say to you that imagine you and I are like the car talk guys, but it's us dissect. It's the, we, we're writing characters as the car talk guys, but we're dissecting the Fast and the Furious films. It's like <laughs> I, I I need the context. I've never I don't know what the car talk guys is. It's you you and Kevin both. Why doesn't Why doesn't anyone know who the car talk guys are? Um, they're the they're the guys. They were the Rusties guys. Um, they were the two guys who who, who did the Rusties guys in the in the Cars movies. Oh my God! Can we talk about the Cars movies when we when we get? Oh, we we will actually talk about the Cars movies in this episode. What it wait, is relevant? Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I've got I'm, a question. Did you you didn't watch the trailer, right? Have you watched the trailer? The new what trailer? Fast Nine. I went and saw. The one that came out yesterday. Godzilla. And I saw the one that Godzilla versus King Kong. Okay. You saw the old one. It should stop there. Don't watch the new one that just came out yesterday. Listen, I'm on this personal journey right now of just not watching trailers at all. Good. And it's really working for me. It's, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like, you know, like forget, you know, like, you know, yoga or Jesus. Just stop watching movie trailers and don't go on Twitter. And boy. Things are better. <laughs> oh, things are things are getting things are getting so much better for me. It's great. Well, good. Stay. You know how you know how they say like if somebody's been starving, you should they shouldn't gorge themselves because it can actually hurt them. You need to gradually return to eating. Well, with Fast and the Furious, you can't be on Tokyo Drift and then just see the trailer for Fast Nine. That's too much of a shock. Like it might shock your system, and that that might make things unravel. So you you need to stay Boy, away from that trailer for another couple of movies. Speaking, let, let, we just have to get right into it, Rob. Because speaking about a shock to a system. This movie started, and I immediately... What did I immediately text you? Uh, let me look it up here. <laughs> While I'm looking it up. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fast and the Furious's Art, the Fast and the Furious Appreciation Podcast. Um, I You're am on Fast and the Furious 3. Tokyo Drift. I am your host, Rob. I am here with my co-host, Dan. I've seen all the movies um, like a, a bunch of times. You're, you've seen the first few, but you're, this is going to be like your first journey throughout the whole thing. Yeah, you know what's really funny? After after I watched this one, because this one is, is the movie not called Tokyo Drift? Is that not like the title? Or is uh, the, the is the, the full title, title is the fa- Fast and the Furious colon Tokyo, Tokyo Drift. Drift? Okay, right. Yeah. Okay, so I f- feel like we're about to lose this naming uh, um, me- mechanic, uh, and well, things we never are- had one. <laughs> well, okay, that's all. That's you know what. Uh, that's true. That's super yeah. fair, that's and we'll never fair. have one. There oh is, my and god, that's part of it. This is why. This is why we get like this is why we get like Ocean's Eleven two instead of Ocean's Twelve. You know what I mean? Because I can't, I don't know I don't know what the next movie. You're gonna have to tell me what the next movie is. I oh, looked on Amazon. Hear the title of the next movie. I looked on Amazon <laughs> and there were so many of them. Yeah, and I was just like, is it? It's I think Fate is eight. The Fate of the Furious. Yeah. yeah. And I think Fast Nine, they're just like they just gave up at that point. Well, do you want to hear the whole titles like of all of the movies beginning and end here? Uh, well, okay, tell me what's ne- just tell me what's next. 
So right now we're on Tokyo Drift, the third movie. The fourth movie is titled Fast and Furious. Okay, okay. I feel like I'm just going to need like like a Roy G. Biv color chart. And then from there, it kind of Fast Five. uh, What is it? Furious. uh, No, it's Fast Five. I think Fast and the Furious 6, Furious 7. F8, you know, Fate of the Furious, F9. So, I mean, it kind of, you know, they'll just throw a Fate, Furious, Fast, you know, one of those words get thrown in there with a number. I I dread the day they get past uh, 12 because we only have F1 through F12 on my keyboard and I have each one hotkeyed and ready to play each movie. (laughs) Uh, whenever Whenever I'm just feeling like I need some family time, I just reach up and I just tap like an F2 and boom. And the description on Amazon doesn't say anything like in the fourth installment, every right. one of these descriptions should start with in the fifth installment or, or in just the- do what they do with like the book series on Amazon. And it should just say in parentheses at the end, fourth, you know, fourth book right. or, right. you know, right. fourth film. Uh, but yeah, right. to, this this week we're talking about Tokyo Drift. It is a film that uh, I think is famous for. Uh, by some infamous by others it's often considered uh the weakest film in the franchise it certainly is the weakest in terms of uh, i think uh critical and f- uh financial uh measures uh in terms of like you know whether or not it's a, a a fun installment i think it's a little bit more mixed although i think it is still commonly considered the weakest of the one most notably because uh you got no vin diesel you got no paul walker this movie just kind of dropped both of them uh the story that i had read years ago was that you know vin diesel obviously he skipped out on too fast too furious i think he was kind of a rising action star at that point so he got to pick and choose what he wanted uh but the the story was that paul walker was dropped for this one because the executives thought he was getting too old to carry this franchise which i find wild but um uh, (laughs) that's yeah, you know. particularly because like the the nerdy fifteen year olds are growing up from the first one, and they are the now the same age, or they look they look like the same age as Paul Walker. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, the audience was aging with these films, and they didn't. They just like, oh, I don't. It was this movie's weird, dude. This movie's yeah. real. Well, weird. it's also a weird choice because I, I will get into it, and let's just address it right away. Uh, the new lead for this film is Lucas Black playing Sean Boswell, and uh, he's supposed to be 17 in the film, but he's clearly in his mid-20s. So, like, if you're going to drop Paul Walker because Push you think he's too old, like, yeah, why not get an actual, you know, someone who's 18, right? You know, get somebody who's actually a teenager. Yeah, like one of those Taylor Lautners or something. Right. If you put Sean Boswell next to Paul Walker, I would have assumed they were around the same age. But, you know, in any case, uh, Sean Boswell, that is like, yeah, that is like that is a name, man. That's a name. kind of like a little bit of like a secret agent name. Yeah. Well, like a secret agent that is terrible. You know what I mean? (laughs) A secret agent who chose his name, apparently unironically. Uh, This movie also uh, leaves the U.S. for the first time in the franchise and brings us over to Tokyo, as it is in the title. Um, And what also notable about this film is that this is the first Fast and the Furious directed by Justin Lin, who would ultimately end up directing a bunch of films and I think is uh, arguably maybe the one person 
beyond Vin Diesel who can claim sort of ownership over this franchise because it really is under his direction that the the franchise went from this, which is funny enough, considered the lowest point of the movies to some of the best films in the franchise. So uh, there's a lot going on here, though. Like, is this is this movie the bridge of self-awareness for the films? Is this no. like, is this, well, is this, and to say that like after this, when did they start becoming self-aware? I think they started to discover it in the fifth film. I think in the next film, you'll start to see like hints of the DNA of them going like, oh, we could get goofy with this. I think five's when they really go, let's get goofy with this. And, you know, arguably, maybe it wasn't until nine that they're going, okay, let's get real. Let's see how far we can push the goofiness. Well, it just feels like the, it feels like the plot device of we got a race for honor is like a stone to which blood cannot be wrought anymore. Uh, and like, <laughs> like we got to the point where we involved the Yakuza, like, you know, freaking Quentin Tarantino style in order to drive a plot about honor. So that, a, so that like a, a simple gentleman's duel, uh, you know, but hyped up with, you know, drifting, oh, what a, Which we what don't get. Movie. I mean, well, okay, we'll 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 do what we do in these uh, previous episodes and kind of go through it, uh, you know, I guess sequence by sequence. But I'd say overall, one of the things that makes it, I I could see why this movie is considered one of the worst in the franchise because while I'm enjoying it with every re rewatch a little bit more and I appreciate it a little bit more, I could see why this movie was like the the the, the failure of the franchise because. For one, it felt like the movie didn't really start until the last like 35 minutes of the like, it, what is the plot of the movie? Yeah, we know that uh, Sean goes to Japan and we, we get the setup there. But like this is not like the first two films where there is this very clear plot of, OK, you're trying to figure out who's stealing these TVs. OK, you're trying to catch this drug dealer when he moves the money third movie is kind of like i don't know is this kid in japan until the last 30 minutes when a plot kind of formulates and you know that's uh doesn't always make for the best experience i can com i completely agree it's very it, the movie's very disjointed i feel like it's sandwiched with reshoots i feel like the the beginning and the end of the movie uh feel like uh different movies completely different movies than the middle part of the movie and we get um we we just get like a very muddied storyline that could have been so much more if they had just it just embraced the goofiness of it. There just feel like there are so many more opportunities to take, you know, white guy in Tokyo than than the it feel oh my, it, you know you know what it is it feels like the disney channel equivalent of an action movie where it's just like big broad tropes big broad strokes halloween yeah. town with a big pumpkin in the middle and the villain gets defeated by lighting up the jack-o-lantern you know what i mean it's just like and like now it's just like uh, japan tokyo Drifting. drifting. Yes. How do we win? You have to drift. <laughs> you have to but drift. Yes. To its credit, this film is often pointed out as the one entry in the franchise that is the most about racing, which I think is true. But I also question if that matters, because I don't think 
you know, people go, oh, it's, it's this is the one that's most about racing. So that's it. That's to its credit. But I don't think this franchise has ever been about racing. I think racing is always involved and it's there. But I think the if you put yourself in the mindset of I'm creating Tokyo Drift, I only have these two movies ahead of it to use as a basis. These are crime movies as much as if not more than racing movies. And that was kind of lacking from this because, yes, the Yakuza is involved. And so there's crime element. But, you know, Sean's not a cop. It's not, you know, the law versus the criminal. It's just uh, living in the world of crime, oh which God. is a departure the from the movie first two. starts. The movie starts and I'm just thinking to myself, oh, my God, what terrible excuse is going to be used to get this guy like to in, de- in, in, in debt to Japanese police. We're starting at a foot. <laughs> we're starting at a, a rural American high school. How, wh- what kind of ridiculous pivot is this movie going to make in the next 10 minutes? That's going to get him working for the Japanese FBI. <laughs> well, I guess it starts with one. I mean, you got at the beginning, first of all, you've got, um, you've got home improvement kid as the jock. And they race and thanks yeah. to, you know, the oh the God. the girlfriend who is, let's it's, be honest, she's trouble. You can see she's trouble, making decisions. Rob. She needs to see a therapist. Yeah, she, purely she has some just stuff. To, yeah. Oh, she you know what? She, she says she's not into drama, but loves to create drama like she was actively trying to get them to fight. She is like, oh, my God, like. We're going to need to she's going to need to something happened to her when she was young and like, I don't know what it, it's. I feel so bad for her. Like, Oh, and that, yep. and then that guy, her, imagine your girlfriend saying to you, I thought you loved me. It's like you were in the midst of a flaming toxic, toxic masculinity, like rage spiral that that's got it. That's got it. He wasn't be. even losing. He, they were just kind of neck and neck. And that was all it took. But I need to, to know to if question. that development was made, if that was a, if it's a real development that was then marketed and sold as, as you live the at the, the development, development from fast and the furious three. I don't know. I'll have to look into that. Maybe, maybe it was. Um, I will give that race credit. It's probably the most realistic depiction of a street race crash you're going to get in this whole franchise. Like they crash and it looked kind of brutal and, you know, they all get bloodied up. Uh, of course, they walk away from it, uh, I think, in a way that you wouldn't see in a real crash like that. But, you know, it's it's th- probably the most brutal you're going to see a crash in, in the Fast and the Furious franchise. And I will say, I... There are moments of comedy in this film that I really genuinely love and think like I I genuinely was laughing when he smiles at the girl and his mouth's all bloodied up. And, you know, he's just he's got that dumb attitude. He's got a very Paul Walker attitude right from the first movie, which is like, yeah, I'm losing. I'm not in the cool position in this situation, but I still act like I am because I, I don't know. I seem naive or oblivious or something. And what a strange pivot from being in such a brutal accident to just being like casually, you know, like yelled at by like your mom. Yeah. It's just like, it's like, mom, I don't, they said I shouldn't sleep for the next three days in case I slip off this (laughs) earthly plane. And you're over here, like, you know, like I'm clearly mom, I'm making a bunch of really, someone made me need to check my pituitary gland or something. I don't know. I'm really acting out. I have three (laughs) concussions right now. I didn't even know that was possible. And you're about to put me on a plane. My head is going to pop. 
like a balloon. Well, you it's see, we're filling we're, with blood right now. We're Mom. piloting this new program where we negate all crimes and damages as long as you agree to just get the fuck out of this town. <laughs> no, no, it's especially for minors. Don't I you worry. I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that. Every time I drive by a big grain silo at a farm, I always point out to my kids, I'm like, you see that big round metal thing? You know what that's for? And they're like, what? I'm like, they put bad kids in there. That's where they go. And they're now they go to Tokyo. They're like, yeah. And there's so many of them. You know what they eat? They eat dirt in there. And they're like, no. I'm like, yeah. So you you don't want to be bad and go into the place. And uh, this is that it. That's. And then we get this whole, like, I, I don't need to know anything about this guy's family. Like the, the fact that I guess, I guess that they were trying to mimic that like sentiment from the first movie where it's like, this is my dad's car mm. and it's, it means a lot to me to get the, and then we're going to use it to get the job done, you know? And so I, this is how I got into cars. Yeah. Oh, oh, I, I, you know what? I didn't even think about that, but you're right. Because you don't need to, to be honest. You imagine being a it. white guy in Tokyo the, the the size of his dad, I'm the size of that man. He's not fitting in any doorway. Chairs are just really messed up for this guy. And yet he has the resources to own a small garage in an alley, not attached to his dwelling, apparently. I don't understand that at all. Is it? Is the garage part of his think, house? I think it's across the street. Isn't it across the street? It's, or maybe next to He owns to a I don't lot know. of real estate in Tokyo. What is this guy doing for the... Is he the, is he the one he like runs the NSA or something? This guy's got a lot of change. Uh, also, also, like, why do we need it to be like he shows up and his dad is sleeping with a prostitute? Like, wh- wh- Yeah, that seemed what? really weird and did not ever come back again and was not like... I My guess is the idea was maybe like to to establish why the dad doesn't really want him there like this is you know you're invading my life i don't know i don't know it's a weird it's a weird thing to throw in there but then, I also... but then he doesn't stick around he gives his dad all the space he could ever yeah. want yeah. and so as a dad he's like oh this is great my son's out doing stuff he's learning things he's learning how to drift and spin well, it's just with it's his maybe, Japanese friends. Maybe it felt like they just needed to establish a tense relationship because they also do the thing where like he shows up on his own and it's like, oh, sorry, I was going to pick you up. But, you know, you know, we're a day ahead of you in Japan. And uh, well, you know, if you think about that too much, that's not actually a real excuse that actually makes any sense. I would have had time to realize the time difference. But, you know, we're going to come up with a reason why. I wasn't there for you to just really establish how. Oh, my just God. Tense was all our- the dad stuff reshoots? Uh, probably not. It was probably, I don't know if there were a lot of research shoots for this. I know there were some added shoots. This feels very studio. This feels very studio formula puzzle PC and it's story elements and story beats. That, or it was just their way of saying, let's just get moving. Let's, here's a scene. Here's a quick exposition scene. Throw it out there. Let's just get as fast as we can to the, the real meat of the movie, which right, is right, the right. drifting and the racing. And all of um, these movies were specifically written as fast and the furious movies, right? It's not that thing where they just grab scripts and they just throw sure. fast. And the furious. as far on. as I know, yeah, they're all fast and the furious films first okay. for sure. Um, we end up meeting. I've won. Wow. I mean, I know his dad's military and all, but this seems pretty rough that it's just like, all right, well, it's your first day of school here in a new country where you don't know the language. 
uh, good luck. Just be at school at time. I'm not going to walk you through it. I'll just yep. tell you when the next train. Leaves. Also, I'm a real bad dad. A real, I'm an absentee father, but I know exactly what size shirt you are. <laughs> I, I got you fit. And then it's also, just my outfit. Cause let's be honest. You're, you're like in your twenties at this point. You're, right. You're full grown man. And then what does this poor girl's parents do? Did they say, and I just wasn't listening. Um, didn't the, no, the mother died and then the grandfather of her boyfriend took her in, uh, DK, DK's grandfather took her in. And now she's sleeping with DK. Yeah. I, and I have a note here that was like, so doesn't that in a weird way make her like DK's aunt? Because she was the kind of like the the foster daughter of DK's grandfather. Yeah, weird. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, it, but again, it, it's kind of like the running theme of this is just like, all right, we're going to give you a little bit to make it think like we've put some thought into it. But really, like this is a movie about racing and yeah, drifting. Don't think and too stuff. hard about that. Like they didn't, they didn't even really go much into um, Twinkie's yeah. backstory. Bow Wow, who is in it and kind of acts as the comedic relief. Uh, who I thought was kind of funny at some points, uh, like the car reveal when, you know, they're yeah. getting the car in the garage. I loved that moment. I thought it was hilarious. What is that car? Are we going to talk about that? It looks like a Scion or something. That's well, yeah, just it's a definitely themed. a Scion that's Hulk themed. Right. But this was like, this movie was like 2006 or something, right? There's no like, yeah. The Hulk wasn't a thing. Which, I mean, I guess to its credit, that's it's like a character choice. Character, you know, Twinkies into the Hulk. Super he's not, nerd. He's not on that uh, MCU coattail thing. He's, he's also just a Hulk Twinkie. Fan. The LGBTQ implications of the name Twinkie. Every time it was said, I just couldn't look away. It was like watching a train wreck. It's funny you say that because I, I was going to make a comment about how I feel like they they mentioned his name once and then I never heard his name again. To the point where I just always called him Bow Wow whenever I was referring to his character because I just don't remember them ever mentioning his name. And I also don't understand where his parents are. And also right, they didn't even bother with him. They where didn't him he's getting all this money to just be like reselling electronics. Oh it's, well, he's just—he's an entrepreneur, man. He's—he's he's a businessman. He's—he's he's a businessman. Yeah, he it's, it's real. This movie is weird. Which I kind of, that's the part that I am appreciating more every time I watch. Like, I'm liking the little moments of humor. I'm liking how weird it is that he's just like, yeah, his thing is he sells electronics and he has a Hulk car. And you would never, that's that's not cliche. That's as far as from cliche as you can get. Um, you know, it's it's choices like that that I, I, I find uh, make up for things like the structure being kind of weird. Um, but hey, we get into racing pretty quickly. Uh, you we know, do. we get to that first race. That's the, oh. I think, Fast and the Furious, like yeah. trademark of glamorizing the racing, right, underground right, right, right. racing scene. And also on the way, the reveal of the Hulk car, um, this, this guy just met, uh, uh, Ricky Sambuni. What is this guy's name? Sean, Sean Boswell. <laughs> Sean Boswell. <laughs> no, Ricky Sambuni. <laughs> Is that a real real person? (laughs) No, I just couldn't remember what the guy's name was. Uh, Twinkie just met Sean. And are you Googling? I'm Googling to see if there's a Ricky Sambuni. I love that name. (laughs) Uh, 
Um, just met him. Just met him. And it was just yeah. like, you want to drive, bro? It was like, what? No, it wasn't even you want to drive. It's give me the wheel. I'm going to drive. Like, wow. Hold the pump the brakes there, Sean. Like, what a way to just like impose a little bit. Right. That's ridiculous. But he drives. Uh, they head on to this race. So he meets Neela. He asks where she's from, even though she clearly has an Australian accent. Uh, and then we meet Han, who is, I think, the the biggest addition to the Fast and the Furious franchise um, out of everybody in this movie. Han pulling a Brad Pitt, eating all the time, being Mr. Cool, he, yeah, never, yeah. never freaks out under pressure. Wait a minute. that's I was watching that and I had that same exact thought. The Brad Pitt thing? Yeah, the Brad Pitt eating thing. Yeah, yeah. Ocean's Eleven was two thousand and one. This was such a Brad Pitt Ocean's Eleven. Oh, for sure. It, it was so. It was so like uh, lazy. Well, it was also a character choice because so later on, uh, director Justin Lin mentioned that like Han's character background was that he was a smoker, and I'm pretty sure in the movie they didn't want the character smoking a lot, so they kind of replaced it with he's always got finger foods and uh i guess this is the time to mention this but there's another film that is not part of the fast and the furious canon that is unofficially considered part of it uh and it was one of justin lynn's earlier films called better luck tomorrow and it was about four students in high school who start off with like you know doing cheat sheets and other like very like scammy things and then it gets worse and worse to them dealing drugs and then eventually blood is shed and one of the characters in that film is named han and it's played by uh the same actor sung kang and so uh while it's not officially a fast and the furious film both uh sung kang and justin lin uh basically consider better luck tomorrow like the origin story for han's character they they figure they're the same character and in that movie he is a smoker so i guess that's kind of the connection there um but yeah there there's no driving or racing in in better luck tomorrow but okay 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 i'm gonna have to check it out yeah it's it's a it's a good movie he's like he's not even a secondary character in the movie he's kind of like a tertiary character so like don't go into it thinking like this is going to super enrich my past and the furious experience but um, (laughs) it's still a good movie on its own you know i thought i enjoyed it i just watched it the other night just to to get caught up and and see what it was like and uh it was actually the first movie that mtv films picked up to distribute so like think early 2000s like mtv vibes um but yeah, that's kind of that connection to the universe. This, so some people, some people in the fandom consider Better Luck Tomorrow a Fast and the Furious film. Cool. I that's I think that that is cool. I like directors that do that. I like directors that kind of leave breadcrumbs of their own kind of influence and yeah. things. You know, I think that that's fun. I think that's fun. Yeah, and it was kind of from what I had read. Justin Lin asked him to come in and read for one of the main characters, but he didn't get it. And so he just kind of wrote Han into the movie. And so he was in there and go figure Han would end up being like a fan favorite in this film. Uh, So it's just a weird way of filmmaking, you know, the way you never know what's going to happen or how the public's going to, you know, kind of uh, grab onto certain elements of a film. Right. Um, 
But in any case, we've got our first, you know, race. It's very similar, I think, in style to the first Fast and the Furious in that, you know, Sean just totally eats it and just loses and is just at least he has the self-awareness to be upset with himself unlike Paul Walker in the first movie. But uh, yeah, this is when we we and him uh, are introduced to the concept of drifting. What's drifting? Right. Well, we got we have to open up. We have to open up some kind of um, some kind of hill for him to be able to climb. We, you know, we have to establish oh, yeah. some kind of some kind of dark day of the soul, which is essentially him just doing a lot of body damage to a um, yeah, multiple cars <laughs> to, a, to a, yeah to a rather expensive vehicle uh, that is just very nonchalantly taken by um, just everywhere I thought this story was going to go, it didn't go. And I was just like, oh, okay. So they're testing him because they like, maybe need a white guy to like pull off this job. Nope. He just need, just like, he just wants just, friends. This just is a friendship. He just, fr- he wants friends and he's rich. He's just rich, I guess. Cause he's, st- well, it's just, okay. It's okay. Yeah, it is bizarre. Although did also, did you notice, even though this is the introduction to drifting, if you go back to the first race where he gets in trouble in the development, all of his faults in that race are turning based. So it already starts to establish like, oh, if only he knew Obviously, how to drift, Rob, he'd make that turn. Come on. This is cars. This is just cars <laughs> all over again. This is just, this is just cars. This is He's got to learn the this other is cars way. one and cars three and cars two. Holy crap. Is this all of the cars movies in one movie? It is, isn't it? It is. You've cracked it. Is. it. Oh You've my God. It, it is. We have Bow Wow winking at the camera and breaking the fourth wall when he's getting the elevator with all the girls. Yeah. Wait, does that start happening a lot? No, no. That is the only time that happens. (laughs) I feel like I well, You know what I feel like is that as an audience member, they're often putting us in the perspective uh, as 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 the set of eyes in the passenger seat of another vehicle. So I feel like we often lock eyes as the viewers with. Paul Walker's and Vin Diesel's as we roll up. You know what I mean? There right. are kind of moments where they are kind of, they, they they turn and look directly at the camera, you know? So there's, there is lots of that. And I kind of wonder, I kind of wonder as that was happening, I literally, my brain's fired off. I wonder what the director said right to the cinematographer. Uh, uh, what it was like, so the story I'm trying to paint here is, <laughs> I wonder what that was. I wonder Bow what that wow was. is kind of like the Greek chorus in this movie. And, you know, occasionally he's going to look to us and he's going to acknowledge that he knows we know right. that we're there and we're watching. It felt like, story. is there a music video? It felt very much like a music uh, video moment. I don't know. That's a good question. It, it felt like a music video moment. Or at the very least, like maybe Bow they wow did a normal definitely shot. Had to do music for it, right? Uh, I actually don't think he did. Hold on, I'm going to look it up real quick. Uh, no, I don't see Bow Wow on the soundtrack. Missed opportunity. Maybe he just didn't want to be, you know, he, he wanted to break out of that mold. He didn't want to just be a musician. I mean, there is definitely an element where he's not, you know, like, uh, like I don't know. He, he, he is definitely a convenient side character, right? He shows up when it helps the plot. Knows everybody. But you know what? Maybe that's that's good writing. I'd rather a character that only shows up when they're necessary than a character that doesn't belong in a scene because they're unnecessary and is there all the time. So I think I think it works fine. 
there are moments but where you're like oh well you know we haven't seen bow wow for a while and i think part of that is the weird pacing of this film i actually don't think the plot of the film's a problem i like the idea that like han's just kind of skimming off the top not really but he's just like holding back deals he should be passing on to the yakuza and then they find out and it's this whole betrayal thing but if you took that compressed last half hour and sprinkled it across the whole film it would have felt more natural and maybe you would have been more natural to have yes you know, yeah we show crammed yeah we crammed there. a lot in the third act we oh my, we, we lightning we, speed it's it's just scene after, after scene after scene is dredging through the first and second act <laughs> right um, it is a miracle that Sean didn't kill anybody in his first race because they're drifting in a gr- garage. I'm so surprised nobody dies at any of these things. Every time someone drifts in this movie, there is someone there to film it with a cell phone camera. It's remarkable. It is truly remarkable. They very much bake in the level of technology that was around in 2006, which is very unfortunate because they were a year or two away from like revolutionary technology and yeah it really dates the film it really dates yeah the film. yeah and that'll be fun to talk about later on but um but you know what that's okay it's all I, I look at all of these movies honestly as a period piece if you really want me to be honest they're all period pieces at this point like they're all very indicative and representative of the of the year and time uh like you know the social they were made the, the right. social accepted um, you know, like uh, white privilege, you know, voices that we've given, you know, all of these characters of other creeds and you know what I mean? Like, you know, all, you know, and then, but then it, you know, became like, you know, more fun, but like back in the day, my God, we just did all kinds of wacky stuff. Oh yeah. Uh, it, it was just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a slice of life at the time, which is yeah. going to be interesting in the bigger picture. Uh, I do like so other notes I had. I love how unfazed Sean is by the whole Yakuza element. Like all he cares about is racing. He does not care about the fact that he's getting tangled up with the Yakuza. Uh, And I had to actually question myself in this because Sean doesn't recognize what the Yakuza is at first. And my first thought was like, what are you dummy? Like, of course, the Yakuza, who doesn't know what the Yakuza is. And then I had to wonder, like, was this the movie that taught me what the Yakuza was? Same thing with drifting. Like when he's like, what's drifting? And I was like, what are you talking about? And you haven't heard of drifting. I realized this is the movie that at least here yeah. in America popularized drifting as a concept. So yes, absolutely. It makes there sense. Is, there is definitely that. What else do we have here? Uh, yeah. So he's kind of indebted to Han because he messes up Han's car very fast in the furious style. I was him a 10 second car. Um, doing what? Uh, just driving around and doing like some sort of Yakuza esque stuff, collecting money. Nothing too scary. There's yep. not a lot of crime involved Ooh, yet. And then we get some Sunny Chiba action. Yes, we do. And I love a um, Sunny Chiba moment. And then we get montages. We get drifting montages. And I love. You know what? I honestly love how they addressed it later in the movie. Where he's just like, all right, throw another tire set of tires on the back of this thing. I've just burnt through half of the Exxon Valdez oil spill of it, it worth of tires, tr- you know, learning how to drift. And Bow Wow's like, man, these things aren't cheap. And then I was just like, wait, is Bow Wow financing the operation? I think so. I think it's with his selling technology, his laptops and stuff. I think that's what he's doing. But then what? But then what? But what? what did I miss? Why is he? Why? Uh, that's the thing. So this is the thing. This film was missing the the it was 
for a film that has a buildup and and it has this sort of sense of of progress, there's nothing, there's no, there's no mountain to climb. There's no like in in a in a more cliche film, he would need, you know, the the setting would be like, well, you know, you have to do the big race at the end of the year to reclaim your honor or to win this new car. And then that's what he would be training for. But up until that last half hour, there's none of that. It is just purely yeah, you need to learn how to drift because I don't know, I guess so. Cause you need to know, like they don't even set up another race with DK at that point. So there's no, there's no goal in mind. There's no light at the end of that tunnel. It's just, it's like half well, because of the, of the cliche woman. because of the woman. He wants the girl, but even that, but even that there's nothing, there's no, nothing tangible about that, that would push the characters to go, okay, well now I need to, I really, you know, I need to buckle down and spend this afternoon learning how to drift because on right. Friday X is going to happen. Like there's no X. Right. In this it movie does take us to like later hour. in the movie. Yeah. Right at the end of the movie, like towards the end of the movie after a spoiler, someone dies, then it's suddenly like suddenly Bow Wow's like, Hey man, uh, I suddenly now have a plan that's going to wrap up this plot. Uh, that we probably should have established way earlier. Like, if you want to get a way in, if you want to get a way in and get this guy out of town, you got to get to his uncle, Sonny right. Chiba. But to get to Sonny Chiba, you're going to you have to show up there money. with You're going to need a bag of money. And so we're going to have to run some side jobs. And then, once we get out of that big bag of money, hey, uh, Sonny Chiba's nephew has got this wild road he likes to drive on, man. He drives on it all the time. Come here, let's let's look at this road. Like, where was all of this exposition? What happened? <laughs> it was just all super compressed. It's like they forgot they were making a film, and then the last, you know, 30 pages, they're like, oh, we need to, we need to finish this. This can't, we can't do it. What, we can't make a three-hour movie? Oh, okay, girls, we, we got to wrap this up. The girl's mom should have died falling off the cliff that, that like driving off the cliff that they raced on like that, drifting yeah, well like oh yeah 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 the girl's parents died because they drifted they were tourists in in japan and they're like honey they drifting. honey at the airport i saw this brochure about drifting and, and we're driving on the opposite side of the road over here so let's just try something exotic let's try it let's try it I would um, love that scene because it would at least maybe show the brochure and explain drifting because the one thing I felt like the movie could have used was a little bit like I I know what drifting is on the high level. Look, the car is drifting around that corner. What I was hoping we'd get at least a minute of is like, how does it work? What is the car doing at that moment that you, it's a thing you have to learn? And I had to just really watch the cars when I was watching all the drifting montages to understand like, oh, okay, so you're hitting the brake and you're turning that way, but then you're turning the wheels this way. And boy, I would have wished, uh, you know, Twinkie would give me like 30 seconds on how drifting's supposed to work, but they never really had that in what there. What do you think the audience, wa- what do you think the audience wants though? You know, like, is it kind of like Star Warsy in a way where it's just like, well, the midichlorians, you well, know, like, it, and in so fairness, though, Dan, drifting is a real thing you can do. It's not well, like well, it, but what I'm saying, but, but like, like what I'm course. saying is that there's a moment. But what I'm saying is that there is a moment in the movie where Bow Wow's like, all right, what you got to do is you got to like floor it. You got to pump the e-brake. You got to clutch. You got to do this. Like he explains very technically, very briefly in very correct terms. If that to the point that if you drove clut, if you drove stick and you kind of understood the idea of like, you know, you took a defensive driving course or you watch, you watch a lot of cops, like you understand how like some of that stuff works. And so when yeah. you hear that, you're like, oh yeah, that is how you drift. Exactly. And if someone told me that maybe I could try to pop off a trick understanding how it works, but then right. to the layman 
person, they hear, they hear you pop the e-brake and you do a clutchy and you, and you, you wing your wangy and everyone's just like, Ooh, that sounds technical. And, and yeah. they're just like, and then it just goes right over your head. And it's, this isn't an episode of Mythbusters. Give me that. You no, know what I mean? Like, that, though. No, I no, no, that. no, 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 no. That opens look, the door for is, an episode of Mythbusters, Tokyo Drift. Do they if do this that? is a movie that. that has more racing than any other in the franchise, uh, you got to figure part of their audience are people who are into cars. So they'd appreciate that sort of thing. And when people say that it's more racing, it's just that the final battle is literally a race versus all the other movies. None of the final battle wasn't a race. You know, the final yeah, battle was yeah. like, and so like, okay, by that definition, but, but to me, but to me, what that says is that we've like, we've beaten to death the idea of, <laughs> of what we can do inside the world of a young white guy who owns an expensive car with no income. Uh, and so like, you know, now like the last thing we can do is race a guy in Japan on a, like on the sides of the mountains. It's like, it just felt like, uh, it felt like they were just milking that, that trope as it the last bit. I mean, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but what I did appreciate about that last race, aside from the fact that, yeah, it's a car franchise and the, the final climax is takes place in a car is that, no witty chatter, no, you know, B plot going on at the same time. That was like five minutes of just racing, no dialogue or anything, just, you know, reaction shots and then racing. It was, it was maybe that's why it also stuck with people more is, you know, you don't get that in the past films. You don't certainly don't get it in the, the future films where it's just like the rest of it is pushed aside and it's just a racing sequence and yes. you know, a cool one. And that's really nice. And yeah. super speed racer again. And somehow in some, in some scenes. Yes. Although this will be the beginning or you start to see, the franchise shift away from using CG as a crutch and start to use more real cars and uh, which is good as it should be. Yeah. It just looks better. I mean, obviously they'll still do plenty of stunts that you can't do in real life, but you know, it just starts to feel a little bit more real and grounded. Um, but I do like how the progression of the training goes, you know, they're like, listen, this is kitty stuff. You're just hitting a bunch of garbage on a pier. That's not dangerous enough. So now you're going to train on this mountain where you can fall off a cliff and die. And he's like, sure. Yeah, um, it felt very Avatar in that way. But listen, you don't become Taruk Maktao without, you know, turning some heads. You gotta, buddy. you gotta, you gotta take your chances. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta. <laughs> yeah, the movie it it takes a long time to get to the end, and then the end happens, and it's just like, bam, and it's just like, okay, well, that was that, I guess. Oh yeah, well, we go from the revelation that Han's been cheating on the Yakuza directly into confrontation about that directly into an action scene directly into Han's death directly into a second confrontation that gets dissolved by um, uh, Sean's dad who's there to save the day and then right into this is how we're going to solve it and then they go to solve it there's like there is no moment to breathe from the moment they realize Han's been cheating on the Yakuza like it just moves at a million miles an hour and um, I think that plot is a cool plot and I think it had they spread that out across the whole film it would have worked a little bit better um, but yeah I mean yeah. that's the meat of the movie you could have dropped a whole bunch of the front of the movie and just had him show up find a girl fall in love find a reason to want to stay and then realize he's just got to earn the respect of these guys and the only way to do it is to sneak your way into it and and smash it you know what I mean just be like you know like and, and and not have her sleep with her with her nephew and have it be like yeah he's my he's you know he's like he's like you know 
Uncle, uh, he's like, you know, uh, Tito, Sonny, Chiba. I love him. He's fantastic. Uh, he takes very good care of me. And he's like, oh, he's like, you know, be careful, young man. You're a strange white boy. And I have a Puerto Rican daughter. I don't know what was she, she was. She's she Australian. Was, she's Australian. Australian. Did you not pick? Okay. Maybe, maybe Sean was right to ask. She didn't pick up on the accent. She's Australian. So they, so they did like a Transformers three where they just brought in an Australian girl, a beautiful Australian girl. Yep. Out of just misplaced her randomly out of nowhere because they're just like if well it, she, I think the whole idea well oh that's the thing she wasn't because he was like going like oh you're an army brat you've been moving around because that's kind of that's Twinkie's story too is you know he's an army brat uh, Sean kind of would have been except that he stayed with his mom so you think it's like oh these this is everybody who's not from Japan because they they all have members uh, in the military who fly around but hers wasn't that story it was her her mom died and I guess she's just orphaned and in tokyo and taken in and um yeah so i i don't know it's, it's weird that they maybe didn't need questions. all this backstory yeah exactly yeah um, i one note i wanted to make is i originally thought you know we talked in these past episodes about the hot wheels moment and then the visual spectacle moment and i wondered if this film was lacking in both but upon rewatching it i realized the visual spectacle is definitely when they drift through the intersection in Japan during the big like chase scene where Han yes. dies. Um, and then I think just drifting in general is the Hot Wheels moment because it was such a novel concept, I think, back then. Um, but so we got those staples in there. We lose Han. And in, again, a very realistic depiction of car accidents. It's not like this big dramatic death scene where they the do enemy yeah, get, you're right. Just gets they hit really by a are car. amping up the accidents. Like when yeah. the accidents happen, they're they're very much more like, you know, like an Allstate commercial. He just gets hit by a rando and the car explodes. And Boom. wow, what a weird like plot device, right? Um, but it was because of the chase. So I guess it kind of gets attributed to DK. Um, and uh, what a funny like cinematic moment of, you know, it's the sort of, I don't know if it'd be like a Rocky Four analogy of just like, all right, the way to defeat dk is if we merge american muscle and japanese technology and yeah. we, you know set this montage to music that's made for a home depot commercial as we build this drifting muscle car and this is this is how sean's gonna really right. overpower right you know, right, DK. right right we don't get any of that we don't get any of that it's just a it's just a very it's just a very generic you just know what's gonna happen there's no there's no stakes, really. There's no stakes. You know what's going to happen. But that's fine. Well, okay, hold on. I mean, it's this is one of those things where it's hard to go back and look at it because I've seen it so many times, and so I do know what's going to happen. But this was also a film, in fairness, where just a random driver killed Han. So, like, do we know what's going to happen? Like, this isn't, you know, there isn't the plot armor of, right, oh, but this is Vin Diesel. Right, they did murder Han pretty, yeah, 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 yeah. They kind of did a Snoke with Han. They're just like, right. was he important? Like, what? Wait, what? He's gone now? Yeah, that's and true. Then, like, that's true. Sean Boswell is not Paul Walker. You know, it's not like, well, well, they can't, you know, they can't, they can't kill Sean. Like, he's been a staple for three movies. Like, no, he was introduced in this movie. They could have very much killed him. But, you know, this was pre Game of Thrones era where it's like you needed to have these twists on top of twists to just, you know, us, you know, uh, right. it, circumvent right. expectations and stuff. OK, listen, I, we, we ha I, I need to know. I need you to tell me what happened with the end of this movie. No, like, I mean, obviously okay. he, he wins the race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He fine, wins the fine, race. Fine. There's yeah. nothing. It's just it, there's just not. That's fine. So then at the end, at the end, we get the we are fam. We get a we get we get the family line. 
Yeah. Tell me what happened here, because this was could not have possibly been part of the original movie. It was not. So the story is that the film tested poorly with test audiences. And so Universal reached out to get Vin Diesel to do a cameo at the end. And Vin Diesel said, sure, I'll do it, but I want the rights to Riddick. And Universal was like, okay. And so that's why more Riddick films were made, is he got the rights to them because he agreed to do this cameo. And what's interesting is audience reactions when the film came out uh, on that cameo was uh, high enough that it's kind of what brought Vin Diesel back into the franchise for the next movie. Really? So this so cameo in a weird people way. People hated this movie so much <laughs> that they loved the end of it so much that it literally changed the face of the, of the cinema. Of yes, kind of. Yes. Yeah. So like to, to talk about the film and its grander scheme of, of the franchise, it came out in 2006. It had an $85 million budget. Its box office take worldwide was $159 million. So as a film on its own, it did okay. Because remember, this is pre-Marvel. This is you know before the era where every movie was a tentpole movie. The idea of doing a movie that, you know, doubles its budget, yep. that's that's a decent movie. Yeah, right? yeah. The movie did yeah, the movies were doing well. But the first film in the franchise did 207 million. The second movie in the franchise did 236 million. So to go from 236 to 159. As far as the franchise was concerned, it did not do well at all. It was really a disappointment. And so this really threw the franchise into it was like in a weird middle gray area where they went, OK, it's doing well enough that we're going to make a fourth. But it, are we should we get into direct to DVD territory with this franchise? Like, do we cut the budget and really just kind right. of milk it until it dies? But you have this cameo. It got great, you know, reviews. People love seeing Vin Diesel because again, he was, he wasn't in the second film. So this was two movies that he skipped over before he came back. And right. it was Vin Diesel, uh, allegedly who his involvement with the fourth really saved it from becoming a direct to DVD franchise. And then, you know, we'll talk about it in the next episode, but four did really well and kind of gave a second win to this franchise that Justin Lin would. Yeah. I think you for know, kind of, because like, this is very Grey's Anatomy-esque in a way. Like, I mean, I know that you're saying that, you know, Game of Thrones twist kind of stuff, but like the trope of like characters returning and things like that happening was the thing on TV and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, obviously, but like, um, I think that the cameo at the end of three definitely must have given Justin Lin like that, like, and then, and then how number four kind of be became a big thing. Definitely set the tone for the rest of the movies that this movie is going to be like fan service, surprise fan service. Oh, yeah. this, fans like mm -hmm. it, 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 the end of this movie turned it into, I feel like fast in the fan serviest, you know? <laughs> um, I, I a hundred percent agree with that. And, and you will see more of it in the next film and then the film after that. And it, it's sort of like, you start to ease into this idea of this becoming a cinematic universe before we really had a full cinematic universe as, you know, a thing that was going on in cinema. Like Marvel was just getting started at this point, And yet this is also kind of doing it, but in a very retroactive way, they weren't planning ahead. It was just purely like, again, th this wasn't a scripted cameo. It was just, oh, we need to write a cameo. Uh, okay, uh, uh, Dom New Han. Okay, that's the connection. Boom. So they just kind of worked it backwards. And then later we get this connection of like, oh, Han's origin story is in Better Luck Tomorrow. And, you know, not officially, but 
you know, it's those kind of pseudo MCU-esque connections that I think start to draw people into this franchise. Um, I wanted to mention to come back around, I said we were going to talk about cars. Part of the signaling factor of like why this franchise was not doing well was that Tokyo Drift uh, premiered in third place behind Cars and Nacho Libre. So to go from Fast and Furious 1 to We Got Beat by Nacho Libre was like a real eye-opening moment, I think, for Universal. They had to figure out what to do with this Nacho franchise. Libre is a fantastic movie. But like the third fast and the furious should be, that should be an easy first, you know, maybe second because you know, whatever it's Pixar and how do you beat Pixar? But you know, this should have done better than Nacho Libre in another universe where this was, you know, uh, I think a better movie. Now I wanted to just make two notes. Okay. One, uh, going back to what I mentioned in the last episode, I was like now paying attention more and I still think Too Fast, Too Furious is the most colorful movie in the franchise. It's surprising for a movie set in Tokyo, Japan, how much less color there is well, on as the you, screen. If, if you would have watched Godzilla versus King Kong, you would see that Hong Kong is the colorful um, Asian city. Apparently. I mean, I think a lot of uh, Asian I know, metropolises love it's their just neon. Like, <laughs> it, it was like it was like Hong. It was like Godzilla and King Kong like had like an had like a neon orgy it was ridiculous i love that it was oh it was amazing it was just ridiculous give me all the color like i just love movies that have a colorful palette and this one oh, has is that why so. you don't like the the snyderverse oh my gosh <laughs> yes i mean very much yes you mean like you know how like batman how superman and wonder woman's costumes are gray and <laughs> when he put out the trailer that was black and white i was like this is literally the, this is you're doing the thing I would hope you would do least with a, yeah. a superhero movie is please, just make it no. black and white. Don't do this, please. please. No. Um, OK, two notes. Oh, right. The, what was the other note I was going to make? Uh, I had it and I lost. It. I have a note. OK, what's your note? The scene was shot about 80 miles outside of Los Angeles at a housing community in Victorville <laughs> that was under development at the time. Cabrillo High School was regularly masked as William McKinley High School during the season of uh, during uh, the first season of the television series Glee. So he goes huh. to the same high school as Glee and it was a real development in Victorville. Can we just I, I know we're looping all the way back around to the very beginning of the movie again. But I I didn't go to a high school that had like a mascot. Is it normal for the mascot to show up to school in mascot uniform? Yeah, no, it's not normal. <laughs> I was friends with a lot of, of mascots, and no, it's not. And what it's definitely not is wh where was who like who who had his head? Yeah, because where was, where he, was he he's shown wearing his head immediately after that scene. Well, that's like, so they could look at each other while they're being waved out, like wand down and just, you know, Mondays. Am I right? Like it was very like they were clearly trying to set up the whole this is his American life versus what he's, you know, the culture shock of being in Japan. Because like his lunch was literally like he lifted a product tray of McDonald's off of a McDonald's commercial and walked to, you know, to the cafeteria. And like he had he had a shop class where they were all working on cars. We I never had any of that stuff. Rob, I don't think that was Rob. Yeah. Do you know what other movie was shot in Victorville, California? Um No, I don't. Two thousand and twos. Cars. The Hulk. 
Wow. So there's a connection there. A super weird connection. Well, that was before, that was the Ang Lee Hulk, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so this is the Fast and the Furious. I think if you've enjoyed this film or got through this film, that's it's only up. You, there's only one, one way to go from here, and it's up. And oh four God, is comically really green, comically green in that one. Yeah, like, they did like all like, the panels, the panel shots. Yes. Oh, yeah, they did. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I need to revisit that. And just to, you know, just address the contrast on my own television to uh you know what, white balance less, and... less screen <laughs> <laughs> to white balance them out yeah call snyder he'll work on it he'll make them he'll make them just like gritty what was i gonna say so yep we lose han we see we see dom it gives us a little taste of what's to come because we've got next fast and furious and that is going to bring back that's going to bring back Vin Diesel. That's going to bring back Paul Walker. That's wait, 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 back... wait, wait. I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to watch, I'm not watching trailers or anything. So okay. Let me so you don't level, want to know the actors. Okay. I want to know, let me revel in who comes back because I have okay, a feeling I'll say like they're back They're Yeah. The I have a feeling like back. there are going to be, yes, of course, obviously I get that those two are back. I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of roller coaster reveals of people showing up and, and, and that, that might've even been revealed in trailers that I'm just going to get organically. It's funny. I never thought to go back and look at the trailers for some of these films. I don't oh, know should. how they were marketed. I should check that out. Yeah. Um, I, one thing I will say, though, is for the next episode, we are going to be watching two things because like Too Fast, Too Furious, there is a prequel short film um, that was actually directed by uh, or is co-directed. No, it was directed by Vin Diesel and co-written and co-produced by Vin Diesel. It's called Los Bandoleros. And it is, uh, once again, something you can find on the internet. Uh, I'll have a link in the description and I'll send you a link, Dan. It's a 20 minute short. It is way better. 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It is. You know what? Oh man. It is way better than the short (laughs) before too fast, too furious. It's like an actual real short film. Was this Um, okay. Like that they made independently, like with a budget and it wasn't just like test footage of Paul Walker. Right. No, no, this was. This was like maybe I imagine Vin Diesel when he was negotiating his contract for Fast and Furious was like, and also I want, you know, I want $500,000 to make a short film. I want to try directing and I want to do it here. And, you know, that's what he does. That's actually incredibly wise. That's what I'm saying, Rob. We need to start. a. I I think that there is incredible tales of filmmaking in in these movies. You reminded me of what I wanted to bring up. Because oh, I know yes. you've mentioned writing a book about this stuff, and I like really thought on that where I was like, what would I write about with this movie? But like, what's the Disney War equivalent of this franchise? And I realized I, I don't think there's a lot for most of this franchise worth putting into a book because I think it really is as simple as this franchise is really successful, so we're going to keep doing this and we're going to lean into it. I think the real drama of this franchise happens right now. It's between Tokyo Drift and Fast and the Furious because you know, this isn't a spoiler, this is behind the scenes stuff, but from Fast and Furious onward is really when we start to get the um, meta narrative of Vin Diesel kind of treating this franchise like his baby and like it's something he's very proud of. And I think it's fascinating that 
that's that starts with the fourth film when with the second film he was like i'm gonna go do another action movie the third film he's like yeah i'll do a three minute cameo but you got to give me the rights to a whole other film franchise i want to do so how do you go from that where you're just like yeah okay i guess i'll be involved to yeah this is my baby i want to direct a short that said well like something happened that's really fascinating that's really fascinating especially with as you saying that now it really opens my eyes to me seeing an adult man uh in an industry where you know he's not just he's not a white man you know what i mean so he's just seizing every opportunity he can and he's and he's and he found an after he stumbled a little bit with riddick he found a like a, a family and a real home in this franchise and really like latched onto it. So I can see that. I really can see that. Think about really any, any, think about any wise adult actor. You know what I mean? Think about like, if you were, um, if you were, uh, if you were, uh, like Severus Snape, you'd just be like, well, I'm just never have to worry about my mortgage again. You know what I mean? Like, right. And, and then, it, and then to think like, oh, but I can learn and I can grow and I can learn to direct and I can involve my friends and I can build, I can, I can. And well, I, and know, like, I'm sure it, it t- I'm sure it pushed like all the right buttons with his ego. Right. Because think about, you know, oh yeah, this movie tanked, but like the most, uh, you know, loved part was when he showed up at the end. Maybe that was the moment for him to realize like, Hey, I could, I could own this franchise. I could you know because if you think about it paul walker was the main character of fast and the furious you know you know in very many ways it was they were both main characters but it really was paul was the protagonist and i think he looks at this as like okay now i could be the main protagonist of this franchise and he kind of is well right especially when imagine being him this was a it was a throwaway movie like remember the first movie other movies were happening like you know gone in 60 seconds and you know like racing movies were not and and racing video games were not they were a dime a dozen so for him for the second movie to happen and them to just find whatever actor was available to write a script around and they did that or however it happened you know what i mean like was great but then the third movie when they're just like okay Think about the third movies in some franchises where a third movie gets made out out of a movie that wasn't ever supposed to have two movies made like men in black. And what you start to slowly get into is like, okay, can we, can the franchise carry the story? And you, and you find with this one, no, it can't. Uh, But nostalgia can, and, uh, and familiar and a familiar face and a familiar and like that. And that like excitement that we got, we remember from a few years ago when we were a little bit younger and everyone, and we were, we, you know, we had, we had no responsibility. So just, yes, give us more of Vin Diesel nostalgia, no responsibility, nostalgia, please. <laughs> and we get it in four. And, and well, again, we'll talk about it in the next episode in two weeks, but is four, four good. I really enjoy four. I think it's a good film. I think it is often the most forgotten film because it's kind of in this weird gray spot where it's not as campy and nostalgic as the first three. And it's not as outrageous and, you know, just buck wild as the last five or whatever. Um, it's in that middle ground, but this really is the film that I think saves the franchise. It this is like the miracle film, like it shouldn't have existed in a re- like in every other universe except one. Like thinking Doctor Strange, like there's only one chance. Like there was only one universe in which this franchise lived on, and every other one this became like direct to DVD garbage and just fizzled out. And yet, Fast and Furious really breathes life into the franchise and it, it it's not the one that is like the greatest of the new era but it 
it allows those greatest films to get made and and sets the tone in a way. And so I'm like really excited to watch it again and talk about it because I think there's a lot there to talk about. Um, and I'm excited for you to watch it because now we're entering that territory with this, you know, with this cameo of, all right, we're building more than just a movie after movie. We're building a little universe here and you're going to start to see it all fall into place. I can't wait. I really am excited to see that. Yeah. So uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, we still, here's what I'm thinking. If you have comments about the film that we're watching, in this case, the next episode will be Fast and the Furious, or you have questions for Dan and I, you could actually reach out by calling us. We have a number. It's 1-516-900-4628. You could leave a voicemail with your question or your comment on the film or your thoughts on the film, and we'll put it in the show. Um yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Again, we're going to be watching Los Bandoleros, and we're going to be watching Fast and the Furious, and oh, I can't wait. If we didn't have lives with like other responsibilities, I would totally want to do this weekly just so I could watch these movies every week rather than every two weeks. Nothing's stopping you, bro. Live your life, man. Ah, well, it's all the YouTube stuff and the, you know, the, the stuff that we're going to plug right now. Dan, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me, Disney Dan, on YouTube. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Patreon, uh, and stay tuned because this week, the evolution of the beast transformation. Oh, of Beauty and the Beast. Of Beauty and the Beast transformation. 30 years of theatrical stage magic. Uh, some truly wonderful, some truly lazy. <laughs> Uh, I can't wait. Um, and you can find me on YouTube at Midway to Main Street. I do a bunch of Disney videos and I have a Disney podcast called the TTA, uh, which you can find at TTAPodcast.com. Uh, all right. Uh, we never really established a full. We I think the out the family thing was our outro, right? I don't know. I don't we remember. Are family. You know what? No, if there's one thing I've learned, yeah, is we can't have a standard outro. Fast and the Furious doesn't we do it. I'm just keep underscoring you rambling. Yeah, that was. I have nothing left to ramble, and and that's the show. And live your best life, everybody. Live it a quarter mile at a time, and uh, I'll see you next week or two. Bye, everybody.